Hi, I'm Tom Luna. I'm a former school board member. I was privileged to serve as senior advisor to U.S. Secretary of Education, Rod Page. I also had the honor of serving for eight years as Idaho State Superintendent of Public Instruction. During that time, I also served as president of the Council of Chief State School Officers. One thing I have learned in all these experiences is that educating children is not rocket science. It's more complicated. On my podcast, Swimming Upstream, we will visit with courageous leaders who challenge the prevailing tide and inspire all of us to swim against the current. Let's jump in. Welcome to another episode of Swimming Upstream. And folks, again, we're here at the uh, Excel and Ed Conference here in beautiful Salt Lake City. And thousands of education leaders from across the country, I think 48 states, and uh, are here to talk about how do we work together uh, and definitely at the state level and down at the local and school level to improve education for kids across America. The evidence is there. There's a lot of important work that needs to be done. So while we're here, we're visiting with some of those leaders that are going to take this message, head back home and start working towards improving schools in their uh, neck of the woods. One thing we've mentioned with a couple of the people that we visited with is a a little over a week ago, um, people went to the polls and they voted across the country for their governors. They voted for U.S. senators. They voted for their congressmen. But in seven states, there was also, uh, they voted for their state superintendent of public instruction. And we're visiting with one of those uh, candidates and, and now uh, winner of that election, Ryan Walters from the great state of Oklahoma. Congratulations on your election and welcome to Swimming Upstream. Well, I appreciate it, Tom, and appreciate all the work you've done in the past and the work that you continue to do. You're a credible advocate for kids across the country, so well, very excited to be on the show. We're glad glad to have you. Let, let's talk about the fact that um, a little bit about your background. You're the current Secretary of Education in Oklahoma, and um, there are a handful of states that have an elected state superintendent, and then you also have an appointed secretary of education. Mm-hmm. Talk to us about those dynamics in your state. You were appointed by your governor, but in, talk to, walk us through that and your role versus the elected state superintendent. Yeah, we have, a, we have a great education governor in the state of Oklahoma, Governor Kevin Stitt. He's been a true champion for kids from day one. And, and in our state, we appoint a cabinet position, which is the secretary of education, and we have a constitutional elected office, which is the state superintendent. So I previously served as the cabinet secretary and now we'll be able to run the department, you know, and for us, you know, what we see is the ability here to have a department that puts parents first, that that we're going to have unprecedented transparency. That's what I've heard all across the state, campaigning, talking to parents, grandparents. They want to see what's going on in their schools, curriculum transparency, but they also want to see about budgets, make sure yeah. money's getting in the classroom. And so very excited to be at that department now where I can really bring that transparency for taxpayers to see. Before you were Secretary of Education, talk to us about your experience in in education, and then also a bit about your family. You're you're a young, uh, you got young kids, and uh, uh, one rather new. Yeah, so I've got. Uh, I was a public school teacher. I uh, I went back to my hometown, a rural town in southeast Oklahoma. So I, uh, when I graduated high school, went to college, came right back, was a teacher there. Um, I was a teacher of the year finalist, and so kind of through that process, it really made me think about broader policy, right? You know, and and the state as a whole. Got to talk to teachers all over the state, and so that's really what got me started. I started a nonprofit, started working with teachers and parents and community leaders, and so that's what really got me involved in this workspace of how do we. Create create an education system that works best for kids 
and does that through working with parents and teachers to really empower, you know, as a teacher, I always want to be the best teacher I can be. When I talk to teachers, teachers want to have that huge impact on kids, but there's so much that we do that ties their hands, which doesn't get them the professional development they need, which doesn't give them the resources they need. I, I just don't meet many teachers that don't want to be an, a great teacher. I mean, that, that's, you know, they got into the profession to make a difference. And and so that's really what got me into it as I saw these kids across the state and thought, I want every one of them to have a great teacher. I want every one of their parents to be involved in their education. And to your point, I got four little ones at home. You know, I've got a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a one-year-old. And, you know, the seven-year-old already wants to be a teacher. It was really funny. To yeah, you know, I think I've told you the story, but my oldest daughter comes home one day and she says, dad, I want to be a teacher. And I'm excited. I'm going, Hey, she wants to be a teacher because her dad's a teacher, right? No, 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 no. It was her second grade teacher. You know, she wanted to be a teacher uh -huh. just like Miss Williams. Yeah, and I beautiful. thought, what an awesome, you know, for a dad to know when I drop her off at the bus stop, she's got a teacher that's so awesome that she's coming home going, I want to be just like her. You know, it's just uh, my, my three year, uh, my five-year-old is already want to be an art teacher because of her art teacher at her school. And, and so, you know, we, we do a lot of every day we're, we're playing school at home. I'm, yeah. I'm in their class every day when I get home from work. And uh, so it's, fu it's fun uh, being a dad. I got a great, my, my wife does a great job with the kiddos and very, we're very involved with them. But again, that's, that's why, you know, I want to help make education better for everybody. I want that for my kids, but I want it for everybody's kids. Yeah. Perfect. So we know, um, you know, I'm, I'm a huge fan of, uh, 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 Dr. Robert Marzano, Bob Marzano, right? And his work, all the research he's done on the impact that a great teacher has. And we know that when a kid shows up at school, the most important factor is the quality of the teacher in the classroom. Sure. And you've, you've touched on that. So uh, we're at the same time, we're dealing with teacher shortages across the country. We also uh, are recognizing and uh, and putting more emphasis on the fact that we need great teachers and more of them. So what are some of your strategies and thoughts about empowering those teachers and then also at the same time dealing with uh, teacher shortages? Right, you know, and we've been very intentional about trying to find innovative ways to keep teachers in the classroom through a career ladder, through professional development opportunities. And one of the things we've done in Oklahoma is we've given our teachers the ability to stay in the classroom and make up to six figures. Yeah. And, and that was something that was very, you know, we thought for us, we have to give districts the ability and the tools and the incentives to recruit and retain the best and brightest. Because the reality is if you're a great teacher, there's a lot of other things you can do. There's a yeah. lot of other professions you'll be really skilled at, and, and the private sector's picking off our best. Yeah. So we really. Or they go into administration, because like you said, the only career ladder was the classroom to administration right. if you want to uh, increase your income, increase your opportunities. You've created a way for teachers, to, those great teachers, to stay in the classroom and still meet those, uh, maybe those financial goals they have in their career. That's right. And that's part of my frustration is you look at the system and we say, you're 100% right. The most important factor inside the school setting is the teacher. And yet we don't have incentives for our best to stay in the classroom. We incentivize them to leave and be administrators through financial bump. And then they get picked off by the private sector all the time. So we feel like it is a fundamental issue that we have got to place a financial importance on keeping the best and brightest in the classroom. And frankly, using the best and brightest to help the new teachers. We need more mentoring. We need more co-teaching. But again, it's our great teachers that are going to help other teachers lift the craft. And so yeah. we are going to lean into that as much as we can to help. What about expanding the applicant pool through what is referred to as alternate paths? Uh, I I'm a big supporter and a believer in continuing to, you know, people come to the profession from different pathways, from different backgrounds. And what we want to do is we want to continue to encourage 
that to happen. We want to continue to get more folks in the classroom. And then once they get to the classroom, provide that professional development, provide the supports that allow them to be a great teacher, no matter the background from which they came into the classroom. A little bit of background noise here, folks. And, uh, we're, we're at the uh, Excellence in Ed uh, convention, and uh, you can tell there's thousands of educators here, and uh, we're hearing some of that background noise, but that's great. There, there's excitement's music. in the air. That's right, excitement's in the air. Um, let, let's talk about one of the things that you've uh, focused on also, and that is um, how to assure that when uh, not only some chi children, but every child, when they graduate from high school, they're ready for the world that awaits them. You know, and this is one of the things I feel like we have overemphasized in some ways that every kid needs to go to college. Every kid should have the ability, should have a pathway to go if they want, but we also need to continue to broaden out the opportunities for kids that want to go directly into workforce, for kids that want career technical training, for kids that want certificates outside of the traditional college degree. And the more that we provide access earlier in children's education, the more success stories you're going to see. You know, I've been telling folks, I, I was out in very rural Oklahoma, Clinton, Oklahoma, talked to a farmer whose kid really wanted to get into ag science, and he feels like he's playing this waiting game. When he graduates, we can finally get him into some of these programs. And I, and I don't think that's right. I think yeah. you got a kid at 17 that goes, look, I want to be involved in the agriculture industry. I want to stay in my town. I want to work at this. And I and I just have to wait. We can find educational opportunities for this child, for this young man while he's in high school to get those certifications when he graduates, he is ready to enter the workforce. And again, I think that's just the belief of treating children as individuals. Yeah. Not this overall system, but to say every single child should have opportunities at success and it looks different for every kid. Yeah. So we have to have a system that reflects that and has that kind of agility. So what are some of the obstacles then? There's policies in place, there's funding formulas that don't line up with what you just described, right? And uh, you've dealt with them as a secretary, you dealt with them as a teacher. Uh, I dealt with them when I was state superintendent in Idaho, but uh, you know, like I said, when you have an accountability system or you have a funding formula or you have uh, uh, graduation requirements that don't line up with what you just described, talk about the, the path in and, and how you build the support to change those institutionalized uh, parts of the education system. And I think this is where it's key to start with the end in mind. And my end in mind is that every kid has every opportunity of success. So you start there, right? We want to give every kid every opportunity of success. So what are the barriers to your point? How do we fund the system? Do we fund our kids' education in a way that is student-centric? So the student and the parents are in the driver's seat of how those dollars are spent. We have to do more to do that. What are the other barriers? And this is, this is one that we're going to dig into as well. When you look at the requirements to graduate, you look at the courses that are required, can we provide more flexibility so a kid who wants to go into a, a vocational center or wants to go into a work internship, can they get credits? Yes. This type of um, um, endeavors. Yeah. Can they actually... Work experience and on-the-job experience, yeah. And my frustration is, guess what? The kids that have always had that opportunity are the kids that are way ahead. You know, hey, if you're ahead on credits, we'll let you go th do this and that. Okay, well, what about the kid that, frankly, is struggling in a traditional system who says, you know what, I really want to do that. And we tell them, actually, no. Yeah. You've got to stay in this complete uniform system because you still got to ca capture all these credits. I think there's a lot that we can do there to provide flexibility. So, again, the end in mind is every, every child has as many opportunities as success. If that's the end in mind, we can start loosening up the way we fund, the way we standardize curriculum, the way we standardize course, course credits, and really enable those kids to have those opportunities. And then it's looking at the institutions, right? Whether it's higher ed, 
vocational systems, internships, externships, and go, how do we all work together to not gatekeep, to not, you know, protect our turf, but to say, we want every kid to have the opportunity. So if that means flexible scheduling on our end, we're going to do it because we want every kid to have that opportunity. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, on a personal experience, you talked about giving kids the opportunity in high school to go kind of lean in and have some experiences and the things they think they want to do. I had a granddaughter that thought she wanted to be a nurse until she spent about a month uh, uh, shadowing a, a nurse and stuff. And she decided, I don't like needles. I don't like blood. I, I want to do something else. So the value of that, the number of kids that graduate, spend money and invest in a degree only to find out it's not something they really want to do or it's not marketable skills. So all of that you can help uh, resolve if you give kids the opportunity to explore in high school. That's right. 50 years ago, every young person at 16, 17 was working they were working in the family industry or they had some other kind of job. And the great thing about that was they either figured out I want to do, you know, what, what my parents do or what they've kind of connected me with, or I don't, I want to do something else. But what we've done is over time, kids have less and less jobs at those earlier ages, right? And with the overstandardization of all the curriculum and all the credits, the kids don't actually get to go out and test a job or a career till they, after they graduate from college. And at that point, this is where you see the student debt issue, right? So I'm six figures in debt. I've got a degree and it's supposed to be for these jobs. Well, now I don't like those jobs. What am I going to do? I, I'm, I've got to pay this debt off. I've gone too far. This is the misalignment of the workforce to where we've got to get back to letting kids figure out what you're good at, figure out what you're drawn to and try it out. Yeah. And let's let's be able to give you credit for that so that you can start testing that college isn't for everybody. But at the same time giving students these opportunities. They might figure out what they want to do, but they also might find out that's not what I want to do and be able to shift a career pathway before they spend six figures on yeah. college education that might not be a degree that they want. All right. Well, uh, Ryan, you're going to take office uh, at a very dynamic time in public education. We're, we're coming out of a pandemic. We have uh, NAEP results and others that have shown that um, uh, this disruption in learning, this abrupt dis disruption in public education and in education as a whole has cost our children um, decades of academic progress. Oklahoma is not immune to that. Every state has seen some level of, of decline. So what are your strategies about um, accelerating so that we can uh, not only continue to advance, but pick up the lost ground? Yeah, you know, I, I believe we have to have a real sense of urgency to create a system that does the best for every kid. That means full parent empowerment, parent empowerment, let parents have all the educational options at their fingertips, bring them unprecedented transparency, let parents see what's available to them. What are those options? How is money being spent? How do we get money to the classroom? What is being taught in our schools? Our parents want to be more involved. We're hearing that time and time again. Parents want to be involved in their kids' education. How do we make it easier for them to have that type of engagement? And finally, how do we continue to drive everything in the system, funding, structure, credit standards, in a way that appreciates and truly engages students as individuals, not one of many, but as an individual, to get the most out of their talents and out of their aptitude? Yeah. And, and it requires, starting with the end in mind, and doing things differently. Yeah. That's what we're going to do. I think with all this, what, I think what you're saying is with with these number of challenges that have just, um, some of them aren't new, 
they've just uh, been exposed in public education. But some of these challenges that are all coming at the same time, it actually creates tremendous opportunity to finally address issues that some of, some folks have been trying to address for a long time. Oh, that's exactly right. I mean, these are issues we've known have been there, but this has highlighted them even more than and than we than we were even aware of. And again, you've got teachers that are in the middle of this. So we're saying, listen, we have got to get you the resources. We have got to think differently about this profession in order to give you the support needed. And again, it's it is we cannot allow ourselves to continue down this road. Our kids need us. The adults have to step up and do all that we can to give every single child that opportunity of success. And we have to do it now. We This is not a 20-year plan. It is an immediate, what can we do to drastically change this system to be reflective of the needs of every learner? And again, I think when, you know, just right off the campaign trail here, that's what people want. Parents, yeah. parents know we can do better. Yeah. They are asking, what can I do? What can we do? They are engaged at a level I've never seen before. This is what families want. It's time to, it's time to work closely with them and get it done. So you, you mentioned you just, you're just off the campaign trail. Now, I was telling the other uh, folks we visited with that were recently elected is uh, election night's exciting when you win. But for me, anyways, I woke up the next morning and was like, okay, here we go. So what does the next six weeks look like for you between now and when you take office? Yep. Great question. You know, it's a lot of assembling a good team that is going to be critical, to, you know, to work with, work with kids, work with teachers, work with parents, get that set up. It's also, we're developing a very aggressive uh, legislative agenda with the governor's office to really come out strong and really make those structural changes yeah. necessary. And it's a look at the department to bring transparency. I mean, I'm going to come in and I'm going to audit the department immediately. We have got to do a better job of making sure every program, every dollar is spent in a way that actually improves student outcomes. And, and frankly, you know, that's that's one of my concerns when you talk about government, you talk about government agencies, is there is a status quo mentality of, well, we've always done it this way. Well, one I of think, the, yeah. yeah, well, I was going to say, one of the biggest surprises I had when I came into office was a similar type of analysis that you're talking about doing is that the number of programs that began because of, of, a, of a federal grant or a state grant or somebody's pet project, uh, those funds go away. But that effort stays and you've got all these like hobbies that are just kind of uh, uh, filtered throughout the department and getting people to focus that, you know, to fo uh, sh shift their focus from those hobbies to the kinds of things that we need to do. Right. So uh, the, the, it, the kind of leadership and the type, type of team you put together is going to be critical. And I fundamentally believe government doesn't know best. Yeah. Who's in the government? The government doesn't know best. Parents know best. Yeah. Your teachers in the classroom. They are the valuable voices. When you talk to parents and teachers, you get a true reflection of what our kids need. And what and what I, you know, the feds come in and say this program, that program. And now we've got to take a look at it and go, are these meaningful programs? Yeah. Is what the State Department of Ed have been doing, is it actually helping our teachers? Is it actually getting to the classroom in a meaningful way? And if not, we've got to look at spending these dollars differently. We've yeah. got to look to make sure that for taxpayers and for parents, that their investment is getting to their kids in a meaningful way. Yeah. And I think that, you know, as a state chief, you have to do that. That is, that is part of your responsibility to ensure that the investment, and again, we have, we've invested record amounts in Oklahoma, but my frustration is it's not being used in the way to benefit our kids in the, in the best way possible. So it's a matter of bringing accountability and transparency to that, to that, to ensure taxpayer dollars are being used for the best interest of our kids. Well, exciting opportunities for Oklahoma going forward. So excited about your election. 
Um, what's it What's it look like a year from now when you and I have a similar conversation? What's it look like in Oklahoma? You know, in a year from now, I think we are going to have this, you know, un un unprecedented energy in the state. I, I feel it right now. I think that we've got a great legislature that's ready to get to work. Uh, we've got a fantastic governor that is excited about what we can do for our kids. And again, we, we've got great tight-knit communities. You know, again, the great thing about campaigning is you get to go to every county. You get to go talk to people. And I heard it from rural to suburban to urban areas in Oklahoma. We want great schools. We want, you know, and frankly, I always had this conversation with folks. I want a better education for my kids what I got. And no, well, that's what we all want, right? That's right. Yeah. For your kids. Yeah. And so I think we're going to be in a great place in a year. I think you and I are going to be able to sit down and we're going to be able to talk about some early victories and then how we utilize that to keep the energy going for our kids. Yeah, just use it to uh, as a catapult, right, and build upon it. Well, folks, we've had the opportunity to visit with... Um, uh, Ryan, uh, recently elected state superintendent of the great state of Oklahoma, and Ryan, uh, Ryan Walters. And Ryan, before we go, uh, something I'm asking all the people we're, we're visiting with, share with us one unique piece of information, a fun fact about Oklahoma that most people uh, probably don't know. All right, I'm going to give you two. All right. Because one of them is kind of nerdy, and I don't know how many people <laughs> The first one is we invented the shopping cart. Oh, wow. All right. All right. True innovators about empowering <laughs> consumers, right? So That's we're, right. We're going to empower parents the same way. So we invented the shopping cart, which is a big deal. The other one is for any fans of the Marvel Universe out there. Sure. Okay. All right. I'm one. If you, if you go back into the Avengers, Thor's planet was destroyed. I'm really going to show how nerdy I am here, okay? His planet was destroyed. Asgard was destroyed. The, they decided to recreate... Thor's planet on Earth, according to the comics, and he created it, the new city in Broxton, Oklahoma, very small town in Oklahoma. That is where Thor allegedly lives since his planet was destroyed. So I don't know how many viewers know that, but there you I go. I did not Thor, know that. Technically, according to the comics in the Marvel Universe, resides now in Oklahoma. Well, there you go, folks. And I've got a couple of grandkids that will love that piece of information. I think we're going to be making a trip to what part? What? Broxton. Broxton, Oklahoma. Well, Ryan Walters, thanks for being a guest. Folks, now I think we know a little bit why Ryan swims upstream and uh, swims against the current. Thanks for your work and excited about the opportunities going forward in Oklahoma. Thank you for having me, Thank Tom. you. I really enjoyed the conversation. You bet. We'll be back. Thank you, folks. Thank you for listening. And remember, our children may only be 22% of our population, but they represent 100% of our future. If you found this conversation valuable, subscribe to our YouTube channel and find us on your favorite podcast platform. Swimming Upstream is part of the Stratagos Podcast Network. To view the entire lineup of our shows, visit our website, stratagosgroup.com.